does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? What does that really mean? I want to ponder that with you this morning, but first I want to remind you what we are going to say over and over and over here at Orchard Hill Church, and that is this, that we love, we love God, we love our neighbor, we love ourselves, and we even love our enemies. We love only because God first loved us. I read a thought from my favorite monk, everybody should have a favorite monk, uh, Thomas Merton. He's my favorite monk this week. And he said, the root of Christian love is not the will to love. It's not like I'm gonna try really hard to love. The root of Christian love is the faith that one is loved. And so I want to ask you this morning, just as Jeff asked all of us at the gathering, if you were there, what if receiving God's love is our primary spiritual responsibility? What might change in your life if you realized that receiving the love of God for you is your primary spiritual responsibility? Just like that video that we've been starting each teaching with, again, this image of kids playing in this overflow of water as a picture, as a symbol of God's never-ending, unearned love flowing over us all the time. And our primary job, our first job, is to get ourselves under that flow and then stay there. I can tell you what changes in my life when I remember that this is my primary spiritual responsibility. I rest more. I stop taking myself so darn seriously as if God doesn't know what to do if I'm not busy, as if God can't accomplish his work if Alice Shirey isn't frantically helping him keep the universe ticking. I sit with God more rather than always chattering at him. I enjoy God more, I trust him more, rather than giving him a laundry list of prayers as if he doesn't know or understand my needs. I receive his good gifts with gratitude. And oh, I forget. I step out from under that flow of God's love and I start to run and I start to try to earn and achieve and be the martyr and prove, prove, prove myself. And then I wonder why my soul is so dry and thirsty. I'm like that kid standing on the hot, dry pool deck with burning feet while I watch other kids play in the fountain. And sooner or later, I hear his voice. And he says, oh, my daughter... You have forgotten about the fountain of my love and you are so thirsty and your soul is so dry. And he sighs and he whispers, come back to me, Alice, for you are weary and heavily burdened and I want to give you rest. And so I return and I rest and I step again under the flow of his love and I stop all my ego-driven striving to be good enough. 
And I put my feet up and I say once again, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner saved by grace. Would you teach me? Would you remind me? Would you help me to know, to really know how deep and wide and high and long is the love you have for me? And he reminds me of this truth. So what if learning to receive the love of God, what if practicing daily living under the never-ceasing flow of his love for you is your primary spiritual responsibility? What if that could become your first thing? Well, we believe it is here at Orchard. We believe that when we do this as followers of Jesus, when we stay under the overflow of God's love, then and only then will we start to live the life Jesus calls us to live, a life with, uh, filled with what Jeff defined at the, at the gathering and in the last couple weeks you've heard here, our missional marks. And that is the outcomes that we are shooting for as we accomplish our mission. This is what we should start to see in our lives, what we call the five loves. And one of which... I want to talk about this morning, this call to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So the one place that this is found in the New Testament is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. You can turn there if you have your Bibles or it's in your bulletin um, or up on the screens. And Matthew 22 is filled with story after story after story of Jesus sparring with the religious leaders. They kept throwing out all these doctrinal questions, trying to trick him and getting him to say something heretical so that they could prove he wasn't who he said he was. So let's look at one of these examples, Matthew 22, starting with verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So Jesus had already kind of shut the Sadducees up. They tried their best with him, so now the Pharisees were going to try. And so one of them, an expert in the law, so the Jewish religious Old Testament law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, and this first sentence would not have been surprising to anyone. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And you heard Ed teach on this a couple weekends ago. But now Jesus reaches back into the ancient book of Leviticus and grabs another text and throws it in here almost at the same level as loving God. And he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he drops a bomb and he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything else Jesus said in the Old Testament, which is all the scriptures they had when Jesus was alive, Everything else in those scriptures, in some sense, Jesus said, depends on these two commandments. John Piper, a pastor in Minneapolis, said this. He said, this is an amazing statement. Jesus wants us to be stunned, 
I don't know how many of us have been stunned when we read this passage. Jesus wants us to be stunned at how important these two commandments are. He is saying, these are the two commandments on which everything else in the Bible depends. Holy buckets. Previously, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this also, but but he said it in the midst of so many other great teachings that sometimes we miss it. But listen to this, Matthew 7 verse 12, he said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Again, John Piper explains this so well. He says, what you are seeing when you see others love their neighbors as themselves is that you are witnessing the visible expression of the law and the prophets, which is basically the whole Old Testament scripture. And then he says, loving God is invisible. Think about that. But loving your neighbor as you love yourself is a visible, tangible expression of your love for God. There is a sense in which the second command, love your neighbor as yourself, is the visible goal of the whole word of God. Now, I don't know what happens to us when we read the Bible because this truth could not be more clear and yet we miss it. It's a little bit like when my kids were teenagers and I would write on this huge sheet of paper, it's like a poster board with the biggest black Sharpie I could find. Put your dirty dishes in the dishwasher and I would put it over the sink. And I would get up in the morning and I would ask, why are these dishes in this sink? Didn't you see the note? And my kids would say to me, no, we did not see the note. (laughs) It's stunning. We get distracted by so many other things in this book. Important things in the Bible. Don't hear me not say that. Important things in the Bible. But this could not be more clear. Love your neighbor as you love yourself is the ball game. And yet we fail, I fail, over and over to elevate it to the level of importance that Jesus does. And I think we fail, not because it is too simple, but because it is so, so hard. We fail to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, not because it is too easy, but because it is too hard. And this is why I think we often try to make our faith about all kinds of other things. Judgment of our culture, we try to make it about our own good morality, our own good behavior, about dressing a certain way or voting a certain way or believing, you know, being on the right side of some doctrinal truth. We would rather have our faith be about almost anything other than loving our neighbors as we love ourselves because it, because it is beyond difficult. So do not approach me and tell me 
that teaching about loving our neighbors is some kind of wishy-washy, gooey, mushy, too light, too easy teaching. Because you know what I will say to you? Give me a break, is what I will say to you. Now, none of us refute this idea, right? Of course we're supposed to love our neighbors. Yes, amen, Alice, preach. Right? It's easy to love your neighbor in concept, to love your neighbor in the abstract. None of us would say that's not a good idea, but it is very, very difficult to love our actual, real, flesh-and-blood neighbors. Let me give you an example of this from my own life. Oh, so many examples, but here's just one. You've, you've heard it before, but it's fresh and it's ongoing, so let's just bring it out into the open. Chuck and I believe in the concept of loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. The problem we have is actually doing it with our real-life neighbors, because once upon a time, a cute young couple moved in next to us, and they built a massive house on what used to be our house's backyard. Now, there's a long story here involving a bidding war on the land and such, and I'll just leave that out. So we had kind of hard feelings about these people, and yet we knew Jesus' command was to love our neighbors as we loved ourselves. And so rather than giving them the cold shoulder, which believe me we wanted to do, we instead threw them a neighborhood party. We invited all of our neighbors and we welcomed them and it was so great and we really liked them and it felt so good. And when they all left, we were like, yes, we did it. We loved our neighbors. We loved our actual real neighbors. We're so proud of ourselves. And then they moved. And in moved some new neighbors, who I'm sure are very nice people, but they have three little shih tzus. <laughs> and those are dogs. Who apparently have a barking issue. So Chuck and I tried to find a loophole in Jesus' command. Right? As humans have been doing ever since the young man asked Jesus, well, like, who actually is my neighbor? And then Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we found the loophole. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, love your neighbor's dogs as you love your own precious perfect dog. It's just not in there. So, of course, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. We have tried for years, and even yesterday, had another little run-in that made me feel terrible. And sometimes we have been good and patient and kind, and sometimes we have gotten mad, like buying an air horn off Amazon kind of mad, and just honking at the dog. And this has not gone well. I, I don't recommend it, and it feels so bad, you guys. Loving our neighbor in concept is easy, but loving our neighbor in reality is beyond hard. So I need this teaching, don't you? Let's think a little bit deeper about this one concept for just a minute this morning. I wanna explore this idea of what does it really mean to love your neighbor as you love yourself? Right? Have you ever really thought about what it means? What does it mean to love another person as I love myself? 
Again, John Piper, this is incredible what he said. He said, this is an overwhelming statement because it seems to primarily demand that I tear the skin off my own body and wrap it around another person so that I feel that I am that other person and that all the longings that I have for my own safety and health and success and happiness, I now feel for that other person as though he or she were me. Now notice, he's not saying what this means is I feel lovey-dovey toward my neighbor or even that I like them. Piper goes on to explain this concept. He says, as you long for food when you are hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when she is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place for your own self to live, so desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, so seek comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, so seek to be a friend to your neighbor. As you want to make good grades for yourself, so work to help your neighbor make good grades. As you would like to be welcomed into a strange country or community, so welcome your neighbor into what feels like a strange country or community, as you would that people would do to you, so do to them. For as Jesus said, this sums up the law and the prophets. Oh, that's what it means. Because I thought maybe Jesus just meant like be nice, like wave to my neighbor from afar from my driveway, or like be nice to the mail carrier, you know, when they come to my house. And of course Jesus is talking about those things, of course he is, but frankly, that really normal everyday niceness is, is, is what's expected of any human being, right? There's nothing special about it, there's nothing that would make that the mark of a follower of Jesus. See, what Jesus is after here is something much deeper and more demanding. What Jesus wants for his followers is that this kind of life be our general posture in the world. This is not about three easy steps to making friends with your neighbor. This is about how you and I answer the question, what on earth am I here for? What am I here on this earth to do? And then answering it with, I am here to love God with my whole heart because of how he has loved me. And the primary way that Jesus tells me that I do that is to love my neighbor as I love myself and to want for my neighbor what I want for myself and to work for my neighbor and his or her flourishing in the same way and with the same intensity as I work for my own flourishing and the flourishing of my own family. Now, why is this so important to Jesus? And why does he say, this, of all things, is the fulfillment of the law? 
Let me think about it for just a minute. This kind of posture in the world, if, if just followers of Jesus across the globe engaged in this kind of posture every day of their lives, this is the kind of thing that could stop wars from starting. Imagine Israelis and Palestinians tearing off their own skin and putting it on their neighbor and wanting for them what they want for themselves. This could bring God's justice and his shalom, his peace and abundance to marriages, to families, to neighborhoods, to churches, to cities, to communities. This is the kind of thing that could cause the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. This is why Jesus elevated it to the place he did. This really matters to Jesus. And it should matter to us. So let's, let's think in the few minutes we have left about three different kinds of neighbors. The first I would call your inner circle neighbor. These are the people that you live with you don't want to think of them as your neighbor, right? Because you want to like be nice to people outside your house and then do whatever you want inside. Sorry, they're your neighbor too. So what might it look like with your closest people, your spouse, your parents, your literal next door neighbors, your coworkers, your roommates, if you started to ask yourself, how can I want for them what I want for myself? Right, so I want to be listened to. I want somebody to listen to me. What if I became a world-class listener for my husband? I don't want to be judged or nagged when I get home from a long day. Well, probably neither do my kids, neither does my spouse, neither does my roommate. I'm going to welcome them home with warmth and peace. I never want to do the dishes ever again. Well, I'm just going to offer that job to Chuck as an act of servanthood for him. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, but not kidding. But this is a huge paradigm shift, you guys. If we can start to understand that this is the posture Jesus wants us to have, even toward the people that we live the closest with, how can I start to want for them what I want for myself? So those are your inner circle neighbors. Second kind of neighbors are these incidental neighbors. These are people who just become your neighbor because you run into them during the course of your day. But it matters to Jesus how we treat them. The cashier, the guy at the gas station, the guys come along to collect our garbage, right? Could we see them? Could we pick our heads up from our phones and our screens and look somebody in the eye and smile at them and thank them for their work? Carla Chestnut ran into an incidental neighbor a couple weeks ago. Tim Walston apparently put his arm through a window here at church, which apparently the worship team does stuff like that. So she had to take him to urgent care, and as they were leaving, a, a, a woman with a neon sweatsuit, you should have heard Carla tell this story, in a wheelchair, approached her as they were in the parking lot and said to Carla, excuse me, could you do me a favor? Which, you know, immediately most people are like, run for the hills. And she said, I need you to wipe these cigarette ashes off my chest here. <laughs> Which presents a multitude of issues, right? So anyway, Carla told me later that she thought, after she heard some of my teaching, uh, 
what would I want if I was in a wheelchair and for some reason I couldn't wipe the ashes off my chest and I was going in to see my doctor and didn't want my doctor to know I was smoking. So, Carl so Carla did kind of a TSA kind of pat down thing with the back of her hand, right? Incidental neighbors, you're gonna run into them all the time. What do you want when you're somebody's incidental neighbor? Want that for them as well. And the last one are intentional neighbors. And this is, this is kind of, I think this is something that Jesus wants us all to think about so strongly. This is when we become really intentional. And we start to look around our neighborhood, our community, our world, and think hard about expanding our neighbor circle. And we ask ourselves, who doesn't have what I want for myself and the people I love? And, and how might God be asking me to, to begin to want for them and to even work for them to have what I want for myself? Now, this doesn't come naturally, and I had to think pretty hard about a story about this in my life, but here's one from a long time ago. When my kids were little, I wanted to be a parent volunteer in their class. I was so excited about that. When I went to sign up, I learned there was a waiting list. So there were like 31 parents who wanted to be parent reps in my kids' second grade class. And I, and I thought, well, okay, that's ridiculous. And I learned, because our church was connected with Longfellow Elementary, which was in a different part of Waterloo, that many of their classrooms had not one parent volunteer for all kinds of reasons, mostly socioeconomic. And so I thought to myself, well, I, I want a parent volunteer in my kid's classroom, so let me go volunteer in, in a classroom that doesn't have a parent volunteer. And it was, it was an incredible three years of my life. At one point, I was like teaching math. I don't know, I don't know how, how it happened, but I did. Anyway, these are just creative examples to get your juices flowing. There, uh, the, there is no cookie-cutter approach to this. That's what's so beautiful. That's what's so adventurous about this. Every single one of us is called to spirit-driven creativity when it comes to loving all these different kinds of neighbors. And let me just say one more thing, because we get so burned out and overwhelmed because we're bombarded with images of need and stories of need all the time. God is not calling you to a million different things, but he is calling you to one. And so you ask God, show me who my neighbors are. And then, God, would you show me what love requires? Would you show me how I can show my love for you by loving my neighbor, my inner circle neighbor, my incidental neighbor, and my intentional neighbor as I love myself? And he will. And let me just say one last thing. You are also going to fail badly you are going to buy an air horn and honk it at your neighbor in some kind of a way. This is where getting yourself back under the fountain, the flow of God's love for you and his grace is critical. Or else you will become a person who lives in such despair that you have no hope of loving anybody. And so I found this poem, this little end of a poem by W.H. Auden, and I just brought it because it's been so helpful to me. He writes, oh, stand, stand at the window as the tears scald and start. That's me while the dogs bark. 
You shall love your crooked neighbor with your own crooked heart. Amen. Let's pray. God, this is hard. Because ever since the Garden of Eden, we've really been in it for ourselves. And we would so love for our faith to just be about standing under the fountain of your love and then just telling you and singing to you how much we love you and not giving a rip about the people around us. Because sometimes we don't like them. And we want to think maybe you don't like them too. And yet your word is so clear and it calls to us if we just listen. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, for this is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus, help us. Amen.